Well, good morning, church, and it's, I'm grateful to be here speaking with you and thankful that with such beautiful music this morning, we can be praying for uh, Pastor Kenny as he's out of town this week visiting with family for uh, Graham's third wedding this last year, I think at this point. Uh, he had COVID delays and things, so Kenny's back there celebrating, so we can be praying that it's a great time for him with his family, especially being with his family for Father's Day. I know we already thanked him, but I, I want to uh, just begin now. If you're a father and you stand up, and I'd love for us to be able to see our fathers and then give them a thank you for all of our fathers here. And as we're looking at all those people that are standing up, you guys can be seated. Those are all the folks that we need to be praying for, especially as a church. And I wanted to thank all the fathers at the beginning before I give the sermon and I get really, might be a little mean to fathers here in a bit. But I, I want to make sure that it, everyone knows that this whole talk is not coming from a place where I, I think that I have all together. I think everyone can look at me and know that I'm only 31, however old I am now, I don't know, 31, just have two little kids. And there is so much ahead that I haven't had to deal with yet. But being a pastor, being a youth pastor, it is something that's really close to my heart, which is how we take care of our children. And having been formally working with students uh, for over 10 years, leading youth ministries and, and discipling students, I've, I've grown to understand the importance of fatherhood and what it, what it takes to be a good father, and really how difficult it is to be a good father. And as we have sung about, and as, as I prayed, we have a heavenly father that can fill in those gaps. And I just want to explain maybe how, how this Father's Day sermon can apply to all of us, not just our fathers. Because first off, we have our fathers who are currently fathers now. And it's easy that the application for all of us is that we would apply these things that God calls us to apply right now. That we would leave here and be applying the best wisdom of scripture to how we continue to father our children and be fathers in our homes. Those that have had children that have left their homes, this is not a sermon to heap coals on your head to make you feel like you've missed or messed up mistakes and you've, you, you've, you've done things wrong, but instead to encourage you that it's never too late to continue to try to point your children to the gospel. That's what we believe in is a gospel of second chances and that there is more time for us. Those of you that are maybe waiting to have children or looking for a, a spouse these are qualities that we want to be thinking about as we start families. What it means to be a good man and father and to lead a family. Those of you without children that are unmarried or unable to have children or you don't, this at the end of this talk will focus on the whole church and how these qualities, although specific and important to fathers, are actually in most ways how, as the body of Christ, we're called to be discipling one another. And again, I, as we jump into this scripture and talk about it, I know that I'm not all-knowing all about fatherhood. And I know there's many things that, 
that I pray for my families and seen them walk through the difficulties of, of children walking away from the faith. And this is not something that I take lightly, but I do believe that it is very important. And so if you want to join me, we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And you might know this passage. We're going to be focusing here and walking through what this looks like. Starting in verse 4, I'll read it aloud for us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign to your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the Lord's word. Bow, bow your heads with me just one more time. Father, we are grateful for your word and we're grateful for this morning. And I ask as we look at this passage that you would take anything that's not from you that I say and push it to the side, but anything that is from you would sink deep into our hearts and move us this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So for all of us, and for specifically fathers, this opens up here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Fatherhood, good fatherhood, a good home, it all starts with your heart. That's the first point for us this morning. It all starts with your heart. And so take a moment, as I hope that each one of us takes a moment every Sunday morning, that we take a moment to look inward and check our hearts. Before we get worried about what's going on in our kids' lives, or before we get worried about what's going on in our marriage, or what's going on in the world, or what's going on in San Diego, or what we see on social media, look into our hearts and check to see where is God. He commands us to listen to his laws. And as Christ comes into the picture, he, he condenses things down for us to be able to understand. And he says that the, the core commandment is of love and it's to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love others. And so we take this commandment and at this point in Deuteronomy, he's listed out all of these commands that God has laid before the people of Israel. And he says, I want you to think about these commandments and not only simply think about them, but you bind them to your heart. These words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Because God knows how he made us and he knows that what we place in our heart, the center of our affections, what we're looking towards, what we're hoping for, he knows that whatever that is, that will direct our life. It will impact all the other areas of our life. The quote here that I think is a good picture of what we're talking about, and it says that the, the quality of a couple's relationship sets the stage for giving birth to a healthy family. But even before that, the quality of a healthy spiritual relationship with God will set the stage for your marriage relationship. And then in a family, that will set the stage 
for the relationship and the healthy relationship of your family. You see, we have to, if we want to be fathers that are seeking after God, that are leading our family in ways that honor the Lord, we have to have our inner life in check. We have to get our inner house in order before we can even begin to worry about what's going on in the outer house, in the rest of our lives. I love this, uh, the illustration and it's a little booklet, and I'm sure that many of you guys have had it. We've given it out here, I think, in the last year. Uh, but it's a short little book that's called My Heart, Christ's Home. But what it does is it expands on this illustration that we are inviting Christ to be Lord of our lives. We're inviting him into our heart. And that means opening up every door of our life and our mind to what Christ would have for us. And when God says here to us, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He's saying you invite them into every area of our life. If we want to be good men of God, we have to first arrange our inner life. And the quote that's on your outline from Billy Graham, I think, is the, is the picture of how important this is. Our lives speak loudly to those around us, but especially the children in our home. Especially the children in our home. And again, what this is saying is not that we just need to fix the, the, the things that we're doing with our family, but it's that we truly need to check our heart, check our intentions, and ask, have I truly allowed Christ into every area of what my life is? Have I allowed him into how I deal at work? Have I allowed him into how, what I care about? What, what's the purpose of my life? Have I allowed him to be into every area of where I draw my purpose? Because we can't begin to teach what we haven't already applied. And that's our next point here in the beginning of verse seven. But he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. But that first part of the verse there, you shall teach them these commands diligently to your children. So the father and those in the family are commanded to teach the gospel truth repeatedly. On your outline, the, the father is commanded to teach the gospel truth repeatedly. And why I include both those things, it says we are called to give instruction. And I think this is something that sometimes we struggle with knowing what this looks like in our homes. But teaching means that it's something intentional that's happening. Right? We know that we have many teachers that are here that, that go to our church that teach in San Diego. And I, I think that most everyone's summer has begun for a little bit of a break. But we understand what it takes to teach our children how to read and how to write. What it takes to teach them what, what history is important and how to teach them how to be able to have a job someday. We, we understand that it's important, even so much that we have them go there five days a week so that they can learn different subjects. It's something that takes intention and commitment to do. But then for some reason, sometimes we get this idea that spirituality and our, a faith that, that grows will just happen. And again, I'm saying this from my heart as a youth pastor that at most sometimes I get to see students maybe three hours a week if they're at everything. And then the rest of the time, they're with 
their families. I mean, that's why we love trips that we're going to be going on this next week to go down to Mexico is because I get to have all those kids stuck with us for hours and hours and hours. And you can just pour into them and, and, and love on them and explain different things. And if they have questions that come up, we can take those moments and explain different pieces of the gospel and what it looks like to apply the gospel to your life. But the rest of the time, as they grow up in your household, they are with you. And now this isn't to say that every day you need to have some type of Bible study class that you do with your kids every day. But instead, what we see here is that it's as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you are thinking about the opportunities to teach. And this quote is, is a hard quote that's on your outline, but I, I think this just shows the importance. It says, some parents are funny. They refuse to give the child the keys to the car because they feel he's not mature enough to make the proper decisions imperative to safe driving. Yet, they refuse to direct the religious life of the child because they say he should arrive at his own conclusions. And there is a kernel of truth in that we cannot control what the Spirit is doing in the lives of our children. We cannot make the gospel truly take root. That is, that, that's in control of the Lord and our prayer to have the Holy Spirit bring life where there is death. But that doesn't excuse us to doing all that we can to let children know what the gospel is. Let our families know. And it says diligently, which means repeatedly, which means that we don't give up. It's not just something that we do once and then it's okay. We've kind of covered it. We did that conversation about religion and it's, it's over. It's something that's repeatedly, diligently means that it's over and over and over again. And that we understand it means that because the rest of the verse just keeps saying different ways. When you're here, when you're there, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, you're going to wear it on your forehead and not keep saying the truth. Keep saying the truth. And so teaching your family doesn't mean, like I said, that it's just maybe some type of Bible study every day, which that's not saying that that would be wrong, but that the way that you talk about the gospel is a natural rhythm in how your life works, how your family works. It's normal that you would talk about those things. I think of Pastor Kenny when I ask him, you know, how, what have you done? What's, what's been your trick? What's your secret for your kids? They're all, they're all great. I love all of your kids. What's your secret? You know, and he'll, he'll go there. There isn't a secret. But I think one thing that is a, a natural rhythm that he would talk about is that every night for each one of his kids, uh, he would go in and pray with each one of them on their own. He would go talk to them at the end of the night and make time to be with them and to pray for them. And that wasn't the extent of everything, but I think it's those little moments where you can pick up natural rhythms that it's just a normal thing in your family to talk about God's care for you, to talk about what does it mean to live your life for Christ, to talk about what your faith is. And this is also balanced with Ephesians 6.4. And Ephesians 6.4 talks about fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We're also not called to just try to keep cramming in biblical knowledge into kids' minds to the point where they get so frustrated with the faith. They get so frustrated with everything. No, it, it's out of love and care and a natural rhythm in our life that we share these truths. So we balance these things between making sure that we aren't just expecting the teaching to happen and also not trying to aggravate and anger our children to the point of frustration. And then finally, why, why this is so important is it's not just the job of those that we think that are theologically in charge or know more than us. And it's not just the pastor's job. And 
I say this again as a youth pastor, like I'm trying to work myself out of a job to say, it's not, it's not my job to teach, all, teach your kids everything about the gospel. But what I mean is, is that my job is to come alongside of what's going on. Now, there are kids that are in our group that, that are from families that aren't believers at all. And so I don't expect that they're going to be getting gospel truth from their parents. But what they can do from their parents that are unbelievers is they're comparing that life of a full unbeliever to then what I'm t sharing to them about what a life following Christ is like. And they can p compare that. What's hard is when I'm telling them what a gospel life is like, and they're comparing that against their parents that are believers. And they're saying, I don't understand. This is not, this is not mixing together well. And I say this not to to condemn or to make anyone feel like they are impossible, to just share you, your, your, your life is so important to your kids and they are watching. And so we continue to the verse here in verses seven, uh, the end of verse seven and eight and nine, where it says, and you will talk to them while they sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is what I want us to think about in our, in our families and in our lives. The gospel must leak into every area of our life. It must permeate every area of our life. That's what I mean about the teaching just moving into the normal rhythm of what your life is like. It shouldn't just feel like your Christianity and your faith is just placed on a Sunday or it's on a Wednesday or it's when a certain event is going on, but instead it is in everything about what you do. Again, this doesn't mean that you're giving little sermons all the time to your kids. I can tell as someone who has frequently given my family sermons all the time, nobody appreciates that. Especially my parents can attest. I mean, they loved it in a little bit, but when I was like seven years old and I would re-give the sermon to them to make sure that they heard it, they loved it a little bit, but a little bit. They're like, okay, you know, you need to chill out. Okay, you're trying to tell us what to do, Zach. So it's not saying that, but it's that in every area of our life, the gospel has sunk down where you're walking by the way. And so, but we also have to make sure because the Pharisees would later apply this verse in a way that they thought this is what God meant and where they would literally have scripture on their body, right? So it says here that you will bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. It's what later gets called phylacteries, which is a weird word, but it's these boxes that they would hide little rolled up pieces of scripture in. And they put it on their forehead and they put it in on their, on their wrists. And it's something that you can still see today. And again, if you wanna do that with your family, go for it. I mean, it's not going to hurt you, but that's not what the, the purpose that he's saying here. The purpose that Moses is saying that God's telling his people is he's saying, I want this to be everywhere for you. I want this to be as you're, as you go sit in your home, you're talking about the commandments of scripture. You're talking about how God cares about you as you leave. And as you're walking, you're, you're thinking of how God cares for you. And then so much so that it's on your mind. It's on where you're putting your hands what you do with your hands, you're thinking of the Lord and what you think about, you're thinking about the Lord. It permeates every area of who you are. And so instead of us 
where it would be, all right, well, I guess I'll have that covered. I'll wear a box of scripture on my head. I'll wear it on my wrist. I'll make my kids do that. Done. Father of the year award. What he's saying is God's truth needs to be marking every area of our life. So I think what's important to mention here is that while we're going, while we're staying, when we wake up, when we go to sleep, what we do with our hands, what we think about with our minds, what we're putting in front of our families, what we're putting in front of ourselves, what this needs to reflect is the rhythms of your schedule need to reflect the goals of Jesus. It needs to reflect the way of Jesus. So for those of you that are, are leading your families, or those of you that are, are living in San Diego, living in our modern world, it is so easy that you don't have to think about it to get caught up in the ways, in the rhythms of our world, right? That you maybe just live for the weekend, that you just try to get through your days, that you just make it through your week. Maybe it's about the goals of what your life is, is about making sure that you can make a certain amount of money, making sure that you can live in a certain way. Maybe it's all the things that you can say yes to. Because we live somewhere where there's infinite possibilities that you can do any fun thing that you can imagine. I remember that when we moved out here, that was one of like the you know, selling points of San Diego. If you live in San Diego, you can surf, you can snow ski, you can water ski, you can go to the desert and ride the dunes all in the same day. If you wake up at like four in the morning, you could do it all. And I mean, that's just, that's the tiniest picture of what's available to us all the time. And I think one of the key things that I, I learned from a parent conference is, uh, at, a, at a youth pastor's conference is that every time that we say yes to something, we have to realize that we are saying no to something else. And if we want our lives to embody Christ and his mission and his gospel, we have to think about the things that we say yes to, to realize we're saying no to something else. And, and, and it's okay to say yes to a lot of stuff. But we have to make sure as we look at our lives, are we saying yes to so many things over here and that all the things that end up in the no category are things that are the goals of Christ, whether that be growing in the Lord, whether that be our, our family's value of being involved in church activities, whether it means our, our, our family's value in evangelism, whether it be our family's involvement in what our church is doing in the world and, and sharing the gospel how we partner with our missionaries, how we partner with ministries in San Diego. Because the thing is, is you can, you can say yes to a lot of things, but we are limited creatures. We are finite. And we only have a certain amount of time on this earth. And so thinking about how the gospel is into every area of our life, a big area of our life is just how we spend our time. And the other part of allowing the gospel, and this is tied into that idea of making sure your heart is in the place, is that as our kids and all the students look around at all of our adult lives, kids are inherent, amazing lie detectors, right? I don't know if you know this, not that they're great at lying. Some of them might be. I heard you guys like, you're saying that they're good at lying? Yeah, they're great at it. And I know that uh, Dan Naus, uh, we've talked about this repeatedly and uh, helps uh, elder here at the church and helps with youth ministry, but that kids can, 
can sniff out easily if you are pretending. Right? We talk about that in youth ministry as we are seeking to love students. And we tell them, if you are pretending in some way, kids can tell that. I run into it in that when I want to like love on kids and tell them that I love hanging out with them and I'll spend time, there's always a little part of like, yeah, but aren't you paid to do that though? And when that comes from like a sixth grader, you're kind of like, oh gosh. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am. But I legitimately also, I still for some reason just love video games and I love hanging out with kids and I love pizza, although I haven't had it in like six months now. I, I love the idea of pizza. Um, but kids can tell that. And so when they go home and they see and hear us talk about the things, sing these wonderful songs, we talk about these things and then they come home and they just feel like it's not lining up. It doesn't, they don't have to sit there and write like a term paper to be like, I feel like maybe theologically these things are incongruent with the way that we're families living our life. They just, they just know it, that there's something that doesn't connect. And that doesn't mean that God can't grab a hold of their heart. That doesn't mean that they, they won't feel the spirit come upon them and they won't be able to connect with messages at church. But it does mean that we can create a stumbling block in our life. And we don't want that. And again, the, we can change those things today. It's not that our time is too up and it's over, that we can work on those things now. I, I love this quote here. Uh, talking about a, an, an old pastor. And he says, Dr. Charles uh, Parkhurst, distinguished preacher and reformer in New York, in an address which he dealt with his early religious life, related how he had often heard his father pray in church at the family altar and at the family table. But it was only when he heard him pray aloud on his knees in the barn that he knew the reality of prayer and the deep reality of the religious life. It's giving this picture that he, he knew that his dad was a distinguished pastor. He, knew, he heard him pray in public. He heard him give, you know, amazing prayers here or lead the family in prayer or pray at dinner. And those are all good and important things. But he said it wasn't until he saw him pray privately away in the barn to bring himself low before God that he said, I understand that this means something deeper. This doesn't mean that I see my parent as perfect and they've never made any mistakes. But I know that this faith that they have is something real. I think of the book that's by Pastor Kenny's brother, Jimmy Dodd, uh, Survivor of Thrive, that's about a book about pastors taking care of their life. And there's this term called uh, the, the front stage and the backstage of a pastor's life, right? The front stage is here or it's when they're doing ministry and that's the front stage of what's going on. But what happens is that often pastors focus on a front stage that's successful and great and the backstage, the things privately are, are, are not going well. But the front stage is good. Things are together. They're, they're, it's okay. They're wearing verses on their foreheads. They got the verses on their wrists. It's good. But what Jesus calls us to when he calls his disciples to follow him and to bring Jesus as Lord over your life and into your heart, he's saying that I, I care about the front stage, but only if it's coming out of a backstage of your life that is good and holy. And, and I'm, again, I'm saying this from somebody that I know even at four and a half years old, my son Everett watches everything that I do. And I know that he will only get smarter and there will be no hiding any of my sin from him. 
Because I could give you stories of when he's seen good things that make me feel good. But I also know that he knows every time that I'm on my phone when I get home and I don't set my phone away. He knows every time when he's telling me another story about like Chewbacca or whatever thing that he did that day with his toys. And he's telling me a story and I have like one more text message I need to send or one more email I need to look at. And then he literally goes and like swats my phone out of my hand, right? And I can't get too mad at it. I'd be like, ever, that costs a lot of money. But he goes, dad, you were ignoring me. So he sees those things. He sees where I'm valuing who he is. He sees how I value work, where I spend my time. He sees how I treat his mom. He sees how we handle Mabel and her diagnosis. He sees us doing that. We need to invite him into that to see us rely on the Lord and his strength. I think of with, with my own parents, who many of you guys have met, that there, there are parts of my life where I can remember a lot of things and I don't remember a lot of things in my life, which from basically five years old, I don't have any memories. So it's, it's good for them. I know that there was a lot of good things that happened, but one thing that I do remember that they placed before me a lot was when I was in high school, no matter what was going on in their life, personally at the time, they, they taught me the importance of serving and living out my faith even forcing me to do things that I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And I have so many memories that making time outside of other things that are going on, playing basketball at school, doing these other activities that we would go and serve. We would go and serve at a homeless shelter. And they would ask me to, to sit and to pray with these men that were in there or to lead the time of prayer and to be in this place where I was uncomfortable. But it wasn't just simply, hey, we want to make you uncomfortable, Zach. But it's like, we want you to see how the gospel works out. And I'm so grateful for those moments. But the only way that that happens is if we're letting the life of God and the, the rhythms of Jesus leak out into our life. And so finally, as we close up, I want us to look at, just quick, I'll read it for you, Mark 3, verses 31 through 35. And it says this, Jesus talking, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, Jesus. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around them, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This passage right here, is the beginning of what, why we talk about each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why we talk our, about ourselves as the family of God is because Jesus himself, the person that we follow and give in our lives to, he says, no longer is it simply just biologically who's around you, but it is all of these people that are following me, those who do the will of God. Those are my mother and sister and brother. So if we follow Jesus, we are called to gospel living. We all are called to gospel living. So the things that I've talked about, importance of putting these into our families and doing these things as fathers, they are also ways that each one of us are called to live for each other, to step into the gap when those of us need help. As we saw the fathers stand up, these are all our brothers 
and our fathers. These are all the people that we want to help support. All of the families that are in this room, all of those that carry wounds from their fathers, all of those that have felt cycles of abuse be in their life. We step alongside one another in help in the name of Jesus Christ. God made the body of Christ specifically in this way that we would never be alone. That wouldn't be just, we have to get along on our own and try to do this faith thing by ourselves. No, he gave us the body of Christ so that it would be a vehicle for discipleship in our families, in our communities, in our church, in San Diego, and in the world. He wanted us to be in each other's lives in this way. The the final quote on your outline, it, it just points again towards the importance of seeing godly men and women in our life. How many of you men recall a saintly mother and a godly father who loved this book, read it, lived it, and seeped it into you? With all your influence today, how many of you are so living that your children will remember you for your faithfulness to this same book? Let me read that again in a sense. How many of you I'll point it here at myself. How many of you that your children will remember you for your faithfulness to that same book? Because I can look through my life and remember people that God has brought into it through the churches that I've been to see godly saints that have drawn me closer to who he is in times where I felt distant from him. Yes, my parents could help, but it was often a a teacher over here or a professor that I, I, I met in high school. Or it was a leader in a youth ministry. And this whole talk is not just to tell you guys, as we keep telling you, hey, you need to volunteer for children's ministry and volunteer for youth ministry. But you do. I'm sorry. Because that's all our job. If you believe in Christ, your job is to come alongside as brothers and sisters in arms and help show the gospel to each and every person. We encourage each other to share the gospel in the neighborhoods that are around us to our neighbors. Because the fact is, is all of our kids and all of the people that are around us are watching us. You know, I, I've, I've given this book out a lot and I think that it's, it's excellent for parents and for all of us, but it's called Sticky Faith. And we've done studies on it and talked about it, but one of the big important lessons beyond just staggering stats of uh, children that leave the church and all of those kinds of things The stat that's most important, I think, is that when we focus on surrounding our families and surrounding our children with kingdom-minded family in Christ, our children have so much better of a chance to understand the reality of what we're talking about. Because the fact is, is all of us are imperfect and all of us can lift each other up in different ways. And so, yes, fathers, we have a amazingly great responsibility that God's given us to be leading our families, teaching them, showing the gospel. In this talk, if you feel like, man, I've just missed the boat or I've done these things, this is not to just make you feel bad, but it's instead to just tell you, you still have time. Even if your children, you're you're 80 and your children are 60, you still have time to point your children towards the gospel that you believe. If you apply it into your heart and you look for ways that it can leak into your life to direct them to the gospel of truth and hope. Instead, I want all of us to be encouraged that we aren't the first generation that struggled with fatherhood. We aren't the first generation that's felt bound by the sins of their family. 
But right in this moment, we each have an opportunity to give those things to the Lord. Today is a new day. It's a new day that this Father's Day, we can move forward and forgive our fathers and our families and move forward in the love that we've received from our Heavenly Father, no matter mistakes that we've experienced here. Today's a new day that we can move past maybe our, our fears in our life that lead us to shrink away from our responsibilities in the gospel, but instead let the gospel sink deep into our hearts. Today's a new day that we can change the way that our weekly lives work to rearrange it so that our priorities are in line with the ways of Jesus. Today's a new day that we can no longer just focus on ourselves, but we focus on the kingdom. We focus on our family around us. We focus on the world around us so that the gospel would be made known. I just want to close with this quote from D.L. Moody that was speaking to a church in London, to people that I think were in the same spot as us. They saw their city going in directions they didn't like. They saw their children going off and doing things that were against the Lord. They thought that the world was only getting worse. And this was quite a while ago that they thought this. But Deal Moody, instead of saying it's time to give up, it's time to just throw in the towel, he said this, how many father, uh, fathers and mothers are there in London or San Diego? Yes, praying Christians through whose children are wandering away while they're slumbering and sleeping. Is it not time that the church of God should wake up and come to the help of the Lord as one man together and strive to beat back those dark waves of death that roll through our streets, bearing upon their bosom the noblest young men we have? Oh my God, wake up, my church. Let us trim our lights and go forth and work for the kingdom. Wake up, our church. The work is in front of us Christ will return and it is not time to give up hope, but instead to trim our lights, get our lights ready and go out with strength together as one family together for the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we, we thank you and we lift up any, any pain that we've had in our life as, as we think of fatherhood and conflicting emotions it can bring for us sadness for the loss of fathers, hurt and pain, remembering pain, and brings us to rejoicing and thankfulness for our earthly fathers. But we can all rejoice knowing that our heavenly father has never forgotten us or forsaken us, will never fail us. You have already done so much to the cross of Christ, dying for us, making a way for us to know you. And so I pray that as we've talked about the gospel seeking into our lives, that we would truly have that this morning. And if we've never allowed Christ to become the Lord of our hearts and our lives, that this morning we would begin that, making Christ the Lord of our lives. And know that this is a new day. This is a time that we can start again and believe your truth in a new and fresh way. Amen. I'll read our benediction from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the, the, the Lord God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll go in peace. We can't wait to see you again next week.